Everyday peacemakers are not professional humanitarians. We're everyday people who are learning to see God and ourselves in others. We're daring to step off the road of comfort and immerse into reality. In the face of injustice, conflict, and violence, we are choosing to contend, not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Everyday peacemakers are everyday people who are embedded within a world divided by difference, and these are our stories. Welcome to Everyday Peacemaking, a global immersion podcast hosted by me, Haley Mitsui, John Huckins, and Jer Swigart. And as always, we're going to ease into this week's conversation with a question of the week. You know what that means. It's time for this week's question of the week. (laughs) Okay, gentlemen. Uh, This one, you know, I'm really taking it back to the basics and I'm taking it back to where it all began. Um, Do you remember what your first word was? Or slash, you obviously don't remember, but someone had to have told you what your first word was. It was recorded. This is Jer here. Uh, It was recorded in my baby book that my (laughs) first word was cookie. What? Ah, multi-syllabic, mind you. And I will say that a good, supple chocolate chip cookie is still among my favorite things on the planet. Supple and moist. Always going to be a winner. What about you, John? I'm struggling, honestly, Hales. I wish I had a little more time to run back uh, to my parents' (laughs) house and open my baby book. But I believe it was... Da. Not dad, or maybe but da. Da for dad. I'm pretty for sure. Dad. Okay. I'm pretty or sure. Or Russian for yes. <laughs> yes. Wait. Wow. Nice. Uh, so that would be, if Jer goes multi-syllable, I'm actually half. like half partial. Boons. Yeah. Yeah. One syllable. I, I love though that your parents counted that as your first word. Yeah. And I, not. It wasn't even. I mean, they knew what you meant, but I would argue that's not actually a word. Right. It's more. Of, it's more of a sound that every. <laughs> Human and non-human baby. Maybe mix. that says something more about my upbringing and silver spoons. I don't know. Yeah, I but was gonna say really celebrating. <laughs> I was the only boy. It's like, oh, he did something. Wow, that's incredible. He's just been laying there eating milk for a year and a half. Hales. Um, yeah, actually, my first word was also multisyllabic. Um, well, I grew up with my cousins. I was like nannied and homeschooled and all that by my aunt and all her kids. I grew up with them and we would watch cartoons after school and they would sing the Batman song. And so they would go like, na, 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 Batman. And so my first word was Batman because they'd sing that and then I'd say Batman. So... There you That's go. I can't awesome. say that I've kept up with my super fandom of Batman, though. Quite that was the honestly. one where it was like the fist pound. Pow! Yeah. Whammy! Exactly. So good. Exactly. It was so good. You know, and I and for the record, I feel like all three of us have really graduated in our ability to be articulate from mainly that. me, apparently. Very well. <laughs> John, yeah. John, I would say that your learning curve has been steepest, and you've yeah. done really well. Wow. Oh, all right, Jer. Who are we hanging out with yeah, today? Yeah, today we get to uh, we get to hear from two people a story of uh, a story of friends in uh, in a very unlikely place forging a very unlikely relationship, and uh, and so it's a story for our moment in time. Uh, so let's get right to it. Yeah, I'm thrilled to acknowledge and to thank one of our core sponsors of the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast, the organization Respero. 
They're committed to making safe and life-giving conversations available and accessible to everyone. In short, they they offer free counseling and training in counseling as well. And um, you know, for me, this feels like it's been a uniquely rough year. But I would say, if we're honest, every year has its ups and downs. If we're if we're truly seeking to live into wholeness, and so personally, uh, one of my central lifelines has been in to be in regular counseling, tending to my head, heart, soul, aligning values with actions having someone to listen to stuff uh, that I need to get out so it doesn't fester inside and tear me apart. And so for me, it's been through a sparrow that I've had access to this type of deep care and accompaniment. And if you're in personal, personal need of a counselor, wanting to grow personally, or even get trained as a counselor, we encourage you to check out Respero.org where they offer personal counseling because they believe no one should struggle alone. Respero um, offers counselors at no cost, faith-based counseling, and no matter where you live. They also offer online courses and workshops. Their courses are designed to give you hope and to provide a blueprint for loving yourself, loving others, and flourishing in your spiritual life. They want to meet you where you are, whether your motivation is to help yourself or help those around you. And lastly, they offer counselor training. This gives you the knowledge, skills, and self-awareness to identify and use your gifts in many settings, but especially as part of their counseling team. Uh, ultimately, their goal, Respero's goal, is to have more and more healthy and healing conversations happening in this world. So check them out, Respero.org. Uh, so excited to have the two of you uh, on this episode, Carlin and Monica. Th- this is this is different than we've ever done before because we get to we get to talk to two of you and we get to hear your collective story of interpersonal peacemaking. And so. So many things are going to come into focus here throughout this conversation that that our, our listenership is going to really, really be able to pull from and, and learn from. So I, I want to get right into it with you. Um, and I want to start by just inviting the two of you to uh, to identify yourselves and um, and where who are you and where are you? And then let's get into this really unique story of your friendship. So Monica, why, why don't you go first? Yeah. So my full name, it's Monica Nancy Carrillo Martinez, um, and I'm from Mexico City. I came to the United States when I was 13 years old back in 2001. Um, I came with my two sisters and my mom illegally crossing the border. Um, And we came to Jackson, Wyoming to reunite with my dad, who was already living here and working here. And he just wanted the family to be all together. So that's how we came here. Um, So we started um, middle school and high school. And pretty much when you are an undocumented person, then that's pretty much it for your education back then. Um, so um, then I start volunteering with different organizations, nonprofits and a specific. Um, and that's um, how I wanted to get in touch with our community and be part of the community that oftentimes we feel that we are two different communities, the Hispanic community and then the community that you live in. And I didn't want that. I wanted to feel part of the community. Um, so that's how I start volunteering with different nonprofits. And that's how I got hired in a nonprofit um, that helps victims of domestic violence and sex assault, which is Family Safety Network. And that's how I got here. Thanks, Monica. How about you, Carlin? I'm Carlin Bilcher, and I'm a Presbyterian uh, minister, and I, I graduated seminary in 2008, and I, I took my first call uh, was to Anchorage, Alaska, 
and uh, spent four years there and then uh, came back from that and really felt God calling uh, me and my family to get involved in, in church planning. And so um, we had no options. We had nothing. Uh, we were just kind of uh, saying, okay, God, what's next? And uh, there was an opportunity. This opportunity opened up in Driggs, Idaho. And started to just kind of, um, it's like online dating, you know, the process of, of uh, the call process. Uh, you start out with a phone call. You know, you start out with like a piece of paper going back and forth. Then it's a phone call. Then it's a video conference. Then it's a visit. Uh, and, and as it worked out, um, uh, my family and I came here in uh, 2012 and uh, planted the church, uh, church in the Tetons. Got it. Got it. And I, I can tell by your accent, Carlin, uh, that you're... You're probably not originally from Wyoming. I'm, I'm assuming East Coast, hey? I'm a, I'm a product of the Garden State, New Jersey originally. Yeah. New Jersey, right. So, I mean, amazing. So we from Mexico City to the Teton Valley, from, uh, from New Jersey by way of Alaska to the Teton Valley, two unlikely people show up in this one social location. Talk to me a little bit about the Teton Valley. Help me help, help our listenership understand the demographics of the place that you guys call home. Sure. Uh, Monica, why don't you start just describing Teton Valley? <laughs> well, back then, uh, when I came to Jackson, Wyoming, that we only lasted three months in there. Then we moved to Teton Valley, Idaho. And obviously coming from the big city to this really <laughs> rural, small town, like we hated it. I remember my sisters and I were like, no, this is not home. I mean, it's a huge difference and huge impact coming from the biggest city coming to this really a small town. And as the time passed, then you learn to love it. I mean, everything is beautiful. Um, there's a lot of outdoors, the views, the people, like everything It's amazing about this a small little town. It's super small, really, really rural. I can attest to that having been there not too long ago. I cannot imagine the contrast from Mexico City to Driggs, Idaho, uh, in, in terms of like cosmopolitan to, to hyper, hyper yes. rural. Talk to us, Carlin, about the demographics of it, like the makeup of this very, very small space. So it's a, an agricultural community by and large, even still. You know, a lot of potatoes, a lot of barley, hops, Anheuser-Busch is big. And then demographic-wise, you know, they talk about, you know, kind of your Carhartt community and your and your fleece community, you know. There's your, like, fifth-generation uh, farmers and folks connected to ag and ranchers and cattlemen. Uh, I mean, like, serious, not, not just pretend, like, hardcore... Uh, uh, farmers and things of that nature. And then, and then you have a lot of transplants, a lot of move-ins, a lot of people from the coast, California, Texas, uh, Jersey, you know, who are pursuing the, the outdoor community or pursuing, you know, fly fishing and hunting and climbing and backpacking and skiing and all of those incredible opportunities that are here. Uh, and then there's a third demographic, which is about 25% of the population of Teton Valley. And that is uh, an immigrant community. Uh, which, by and large, they they say that like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, would not exist, right? I mean, you you've heard the it, it just it simply wouldn't exist without this tremendous you know service industry workforce. Got it, got it. So let, let's talk about that because I, I mean, demographically speaking, a, a tiny rural space with the unique mix of 
uh, of populations that you, you, you two have described. I, I imagine they have a particular framing on migrants and um, a political and a theological framing. So here we have, here we have a, a white Presbyterian pastor and a Latina migrant in a very, very unlikely place, striking up a relationship. Talk to us about how that happened. It just feels unlikely and therefore beautiful. So what 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 happened? How did that start? Well, I mean, I could I could describe it. Monica, you you interrupt me, okay? If I get any details wrong. Sure. Yeah, but um so so my family moved here and my I basically to to plant the church, church in the Tetons, you know, to, to get the church off the ground and um my wife uh, originally was working at the newspaper. She was just the front desk at the newspaper. Um, but uh, and she did that for a couple of years and loved it. Um, however, there was this organization in town called Family Safety Network uh, that this position up, opened up for her as a, I think she started as a victim services advocate, I believe. And, and her and Monica kind of came on, were hired by Family Safety Network around the same time, right in the same time frame within a, within a month or two. And so yeah, we trained together and okay. then we were, yeah, Emily got hired first. And then within a few months I got hired next. So, so Emily is ba- basically Emily is spending her days, uh, shoulder to shoulder alongside of Monica, uh, dealing and sorting out and coming to the assistance, you know, taking on these clients when they walk through the front door of this office, uh, it, it is the worst possible day of their life, and they're met by Emily and Monica. So, so this working relationship of Monica and Emily standing shoulder to shoulder in the trenches, uh, dealing with uh, you know these incredible atrocities in our community, and and doing so uh, you know yoked uh, together. So, so Emily keeps coming home. She comes home at night and she's just sharing all these stories about this incredible person uh, that she's serving alongside. And, and so the relationship kind of grows from there. Monica, for you, for, from your perspective, how did, how did this go from colleagues to deep friendship with Emily and then, and then with the Bilcher family? And I won't even call it friendship anymore. They're part of our family. They're our family for us. You know, it's not easy to trust the gringos, like we say. It's, it's just not easy. And especially to open up and share a little bit of your story, how you are undocumented and your family is undocumented. It's something that you don't share. That's for sure. Um, there's always that fear that they're going to judge you, that you're going to be put your family at risk. But Emily had something that I can't even describe, like, I just feel supporter. I feel that I can trust her. And that's how we start sharing. Uh, she starts sharing some stuff with her family. And then I start open up more and more about me, who I am, how I came here, my family. And then she starts uh, meeting some of my sisters and my mom, my dad. And that's how pretty much our relationship starts. And they start inviting me uh, to be part of the church and come and talk a little bit about my story. Um, and that's how our relationships start building day by day. Could you get a, even a little bit more specific, Monica, as you look back on that, what did what did Emily do that gave you the confidence to disclose to her more about your story? Uh, because it, like, it seems like she was doing something that caused you to make a courageous action that actually deepened the relationship. So if there's like one practice that Emily engaged in, what would you say it is? 
she never judged me. She never asked me questions or why I was here undocumented, which a lot of people say, well, why don't you just start a process? And she wanted to learn from me. She wanted me to educate her about me, about the Hispanic community, instead of questioning me why I was here. Like she gave me that comfort to trust her and to tell her why I was here. Like she was always there for me and the good and the bad and then the worst. Um, I mean, she was always there. I have no doubt that whatever I needed or whatever I was going through, that if I talk to her, she will be right next to me as a friend. Yeah, I, I love the, the journey from strangers to colleagues to friends to how you now designate it, Monica, as family. We're family. And I know that your two families uh, have taken quite a journey uh, over the past uh, couple of years. And I wonder if you could invite us into the story of the journey that you guys together have taken. Can I just tell one quick story? I hope it doesn't take up, <laughs> eat up too much of our time. Uh, so, so this was very early on in the friendship. Uh, you know, M- Monica is uh, has two children, uh, married uh, her husband and her two children. So, and we're we're a family of four. And so, I we at one point we invited them. We said, Monica, we'd like to have your family over, um, and we can <laughs> you know sit on our porch and we can have dinner. You know, we'd like your family to come over. And so we set um, we set eight plates. That was a mistake because Monica rolled in like sixteen deep, like like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you were, we, we were like, oh, we're so stupid. Why, why didn't you know? Yeah. Uh, so there was, uh, there was, you know, uh, pa- uh, parents and uncles and nephews and nieces and cousins and sisters and that. That's what. So that that was a real like aha for us. Like, oh gosh, I can't believe it. And then we, 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 we try to share holidays together and we had them over. It was the day after Thanksgiving. This is a separate time. We had them over for the day after Thanksgiving and, and literally our tables. So we had uh, all of our food was, was literally, not, not figuratively, literally white, okay? Turkey, <laughs> cauliflower, mashed potatoes, like the whole, and then, and then, and then Monica's family brought a bunch of their dishes, which were red and purple and green and blue and yellow and orange. And, you know, uh, and it was just like a little microcosm of the situation. So anyway, I, I, I think I interrupted with that, but no, that's, that's it. I mean, the, the question is you, you're, you're, fa- you've become family and, uh, and your, your journey together has transcended shared tables. Oh, yeah. It's it's moved into the streets. It's moved into the ins and outs of y'all's lives. Can can you bring us into that in in the form of a story that has been really meaningful? What has your unlikely friendship begun to generate? What's the journey you've taken? I have a couple uh, I could dial up, but Monica, again, please interrupt me. Um, yeah. So so again, that this this it started with Monica and Emily and their work relationship, and then it, it moved into our families overlapping, and then, um, in some ways, I felt just really compelled, like as a pastor, okay, uh, really compelled in my work, really compelled. Uh, you know, M- Monica became this transformative presence uh, in my life and in my work and in my pastoring, uh, in the sense of our relationship with Monica and her kids and her family, you know, sort of became this, um, just kind of this clearinghouse, this kind of watershed. I read the Bible differently. We spent our money differently. I preached to church differently. We, we started to kind of transform our service. Um, you know, we, 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 at one point we brought in, um, you know, Matt Sorens, uh, you know, uh, and, and we did this community forum. We did this whole weekend, this three day weekend, uh, of, of, uh, kind of a conference, kind of a, kind of a thing. And, 
you know, at that point now, Monica and I are, are standing shoulder to shoulder, you know, in front of the church, in front of the community, uh, Monica sharing her story. Uh, we're just kind of talking through our journey. And so, yeah, Mon- Monica just brought this different light into my working and being. Monica? I feel like our relationship is pretty unique in a way that not oftentimes you see the green ghost with the Hispanic, the Latina family, like sharing a table during Thanksgiving or even going to skiing together, like normally they're divided. And this is pretty unique because we're not divided by any means. That's the last thing that we want. We want to be a family. We want to be a community. We want people to trust each other instead of just trying to divide because that's we're all humans. So we shouldn't be dividing. We should be loving and caring for each other instead of of doing the opposite. Um, so I'm just so thankful and blessed to have the builders and the courageous life for sure. And in, in a space like Driggs, Idaho, what, what have you heard or what have you observed in, in terms of the impact of your guys's relationship? Because it is so uncommon in your space. What are you hearing other people say as you guys are living this kind of radical oneness in a place where, uh, you know, maybe quite the opposite would be true. People would expect division, not the kind of oneness that you guys uh, that you guys are are putting on display. I mean, there have been people that have left the church. There have been people that push back against the call to um, you know welcome stranger, love neighbor. In in my world, you know, that's always with the associated funds. You know, we won't we we don't support this ministry. Remember Monica, all those family family night celebrations at the school. Yeah. So they were these they were kind of big gatherings to uh, kind of support the uh, Hispanic families and the immigrant community to say, look, this is your school, the, these are your teachers, this is your cafeteria, this is your principal, you know that kind of thing, and and they they were pretty successful by and large, um, but e- but even at those events we moved together the Carrillos and the Bilchers, we debriefed it together, we attended together. Our kids played together. And even in that space, there was this kind of division. There was this kind of discomfort with the communities, you know. But again, we had made the investment. We had done the, we had done the homework. We had navigated the waters together uh, previously. And I will say something really impactful on my side. It's for, I mean, before I meet the Belchers, I always try to teach my kids that you don't have to separate from kids they don't look like you. Like, we are all the same. And um, it doesn't matter how much we try, they will still only play with kids. They look just like them. But after the relationship with the builders, they learned that, oh, yeah, we can trust them as well. Now they've been cooking cookies with the builders and they learn that we can trust other people they don't look like us they might be people who want to hurt us but we want to give them that chance we want them to learn that it's okay yeah as, as folks are listening in um we we all have people in our neighborhoods that have different backgrounds than us different different faith traditions, different ethnic identities, and, and, and this or that. And I think that we're observing a general sense of paralysis, right? People don't know how to bridge difference to get into the kinds of relationships that that you two are, that your two families are in. If you were to encourage our audience right now with a try this, 
do this, give this a shot. What's, what's one thing you'd say, do this. This is the practice that begins to bridge difference in, in your neighborhood. What would you say to them? I would say you got to be willing to look like a fool in a way, you know, make every mistake, say every wrong thing, you know, stumble over yourself, think you're inviting four people to dinner and you're inviting uh, 24, like, all right, just kind of the, a risk-taking, willful foolishness, just kind of that level of risk-taking uh, in terms of engaging the other. I will say support your neighbor. Like everybody mm. has a neighbor who probably they've been living together for years and you don't even know anything about their lives. Like start those relationships, educate each other, and then you will learn that you have you can have a beautiful relationship with your neighbor. Mm. Awesome. Thank you both. What a, what a gift to be on with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. There was so much in that story that I I was literally scribbling down notes, especially as Monica was sharing, because I think that, um, you know, being brave and stepping into these uncommon friendships, it, like, like Carlin said, you have to be willing to look like a fool no matter you know, who you are, but it's obviously much more vulnerable for someone who especially is living in the shadows of society, um, and who could be taken, um, who, who could be made vulnerable by exposing their true selves to, to people, um, to people outside of their community. And so, um, I, I just was really inspired by, by Monica's bravery but I was also like interested. I was kind of following the thread of like family. Obviously, they kept talking about and children. And she was saying how, you know, before we were friends with Carlin and his family, my kids only felt comfortable playing with kids that looked like them. And now they're comfortable playing with kids that look different than them. Or, or, um, and I actually was thinking how that, how ingrained that is in us from the very beginning that. I, even when you go to playgrounds, like now kids are playing with kids that look like them. And when they grow up, they are only friends with people that look like them. And so it's really is an ingrained segregation and, and it, it takes a lot of bravery and unlearning to be vulnerable and true friends slash now family with people that have, have a, such a different life experience as you. Um, so that was, I was just really struck by the, by the bravery all around, but especially the bravery from Monica and her family. Yeah. Cause I can't, I don't know how we can talk about this without acknowledging there was, there was courage from both of them, but for Monica, it's, it is a courage with a high cost, potentially. You know, for, for Carlin, it's potentially stumbling over himself and looking stupid, which is still a courage. But, like, it's not equal, necessarily. <laughs> not, not even necessarily. It's just not. And so, you know, w when we hear this story unfold, for that proximity gap between, quote-unquote, us and them to collapse and where relationships are beginning to build and trust is there... And at one point, Carlin talked about the way that that relationship with those two families coming together, what he was learning from them changed everything about his leadership, changed everything about the way he reads the Bible, changed everything about what he said from that pulpit. Uh, like the gift, 
again, oftentimes, especially those of us like myself in dominant culture spaces, yeah, we're, we're going the extra mile to understand, quote unquote, our other, when reality is he received such a remarkable gift that was beginning to inform, to clarify the way he understood God and understood his role within God's story and how that showed up in not only his congregation, but in the way those families actually live as a glimpse of, of restoration is pretty remarkable. Yeah, which is which is such a a flip on its axis, this understanding, a, a colonial understanding of theology and mission and things like that, right? Like we've we've been groomed in a system that says, let's go to the far reaches of the planet and the world and this or that to bring Jesus uh, into these places. And in fact, I remember in the early days of global immersions, um, immersion trip into the borderlands between San Diego and Tijuana, I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said perhaps the migration phenomenon is a way in which God is bringing people to the United States to teach us who God is and to teach us, give us a picture of a more legitimate Jesus, uh, give us an understanding of a faith that's actually worth our lives. And uh, and I think I, I heard those themes as well, uh, John, throughout that story. I think the one piece I really want to lift up is the power again of the shared table here at Global Immersion? We we have frequently said that the, that the the table is the most important piece of furniture in the kingdom of God, and it's it's the great equalizer. It's it's like something happens around the table that engages all of our senses in understanding our humanity and other people's humanity. I don't know if it's like the mess of it or it's the enjoyment of it, or it's the conversation that happens around that table, but the immersion practice of the shared table helps us to see ours and others' humanity far, far more accurately. And then what they shared maybe off the actual recording as we were reflecting further is this, uh, the, the importance of play of recreation and and whether it's board games and cards or it's cornhole or it's other, some other kind of lawn game, there's something about playfulness uh, that bridges difference, right? Because we all love to like, there's a, we like to compete. We like to be on teams. We, you know, like there's a playfulness that that's integrated into, um, into sport and into play. And I want to lift that up as a contend practice as like a, it's a way that we actually contend for one another and contend for our friendship. It's amazing how the barriers and the walls begin to break down when we're throwing bags, playing cornhole um, with one another. Um, so the, the last thing that I wanted to lift up, and I can't underscore it enough, is you know their social location is a place that is fully dependent upon migrant labor, um, but willfully uh, dehumanizes the migrant individual. And, um, and when I listen to Carlin and Monica, uh, tell their story and there's so many more stories that, that, that they have, um, I'm struck with the, the sacrament of their relationship, like an uncommon friendship is sacramental in that it's imaging to a community, something that is an, a hopeful alternative. And I think that the truth could be said for all of us in our neighborhoods, as we pursue uncommon friendships, which is so desperately needed right now, to bridge difference. And um, we, are li- we are literally living an alternative to the status quo. Uh, and I think that's some of the most important work ahead of us as everyday peacemakers. And so friends, God's restoration is happening. It's happening in Driggs, Idaho, and it's happening in your, your neighborhood too. Now go and participate in it and know that you are not alone. For more information on the work of Global Immersion, visit globalimmerse.org. 
music in this episode was by King's Kaleidoscope and The Eagle and Child. This podcast is produced by Global Immersion and Adventure Vision Productions. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your excellent podcasts.